You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, Marcus. <laughs> so who paid you to do that? I'm, yeah, right, all right. You probably want me to buy your lunch or something. Um, that's good to be here uh, in spite of the circumstances. Obviously, when we got the the phone call that Brant had rushed Jill to the doctor and, you know, you know, you, you know what happens, the fear and panic. And, uh, and the next thought was, well, we got to get down there and help with the grandkids. And, and then the, the next thought was, oh, Brant's supposed to preach today. So uh, here's the good news. You're going to really appreciate him more after today. And, and, <laughs> and Pastor Trent as well. It's, uh, I've, I'm constantly seeing these sons. I'll, I'll see these, these sons, you know, whether they're in their 20s or, you know, whatever, and I'll look at them, and then I'll look at their dad, and I'll think, man, they're taller, they're better looking. You know, it's like, I don't know what's happening, but, uh, you know, Brant clearly is a better preacher than I am. But uh, anyway, I'm glad to be able to uh, uh, relieve him so he could be with Jill. She's, she is in the intensive care unit. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. So you can pray uh, for wisdom. They're bringing in an infectious disease doctor from UT, and and uh, all of a sudden, I'm a big UT fan. <laughs> I'm a, you know, um, I've been a Nebraska fan. I think I've just now become a UT fan. So anyway, so pray for her. But anyway, it's good to be with you again. I, I think I've preached here one other time. And um, uh, so once we confirmed on the way over here that Brant needed to, you know, be, be with Jill um, this morning, then I thought, okay, now I know they're doing a series on David. And I knew I didn't have time to do anything new. And so I thought, you know, I don't think I have a a sermon on David. I have a lot of, you know, Bible study kind of content, and it's, oh man, I'd like to stay true to the series. Then I remembered I, I, I did have a message on Psalm 101, which was written by David. So that's as good as it's going to, I'm going to get today. We're, uh, but it, but uh, so it, it's got David in it. So, um, <laughs> you know, so anyway, but, but it is, it is the heart of David. He's, he's, he wrote many of the Psalms, and so I think it'll reflect, uh, reflect some important things about who he is. Now, before we get into the text, uh, one thought I have, you know, preachers always want to try to figure out, okay, how do I, you know, what's, how do I get their attention and kind of get them thinking in a certain way? Um, so, so here's the deal. Have any of you, I, I don't expect anybody to raise their hand, but you, you, know, you never know. Have any of you been one of the poor souls that have had the job of standing out on a curb dressed as an animal, like a chicken, uh, trying to get people's attention to come into a retail store. Anybody ever have to do that? I, I don't see any hands. That's, that's, that's good. That's how Trent started. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, that, that would be a tough job, wouldn't it, to sit out there and not only the fact that you're dressed up like a goofing animal or painted some color and you're flipping a sign around. First of all, I'm not coordinated enough to flip that sign around. I'd knock myself out. Um, and, then, and then to have most people just ignore you. You know, that, that, that's a tough job. Um, but out there, they're trying to, you know, get people's attention. They're, they're reflecting something, usually, of course, trying to reflect the values that are in the store. Well, the reality is, probably not in that kind of weird way, but you and I are walking billboards every day. We're walking billboards. And you know what? 
I got to thinking about the qualifier was if you're a believer, you profess Christ as Lord and Savior and seek to treasure him, uh, you're, you're a walk. But you know what? Even if you're not a Christian, you're still a walking billboard because you cannot help but uh, advertise and project what you love the most, what your affections are. Now, some of you are more introverted and you think, well, no, people aren't going to know what I love, you know. And, but, but in some way, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's overt. You reflect the affections of your heart. Now, see, it's easy with me. First of all, I'm a big mouth and uh, I walk up to total strangers and uh, carry on conversations. And but it's easy to figure out. I, I love football. In fact, I have some pills, you know, when you get when you get old like me, you take pills. Uh, so I take three or four pills a day, and I've already counted them down to the first weekend of college football. So I know every, every morning when I pop out the pills, I look at it, okay, it looks like about 25 more pills. And I love college football. Things are looking pretty good for UT this fall. I can see in the paper and all, so got to hope for a good year. But I love college football. I love fishing, hunting, hiking, um, you know, I'm, I've started doing some woodworking. So I have, I have a lot of interests. And if you hang around with me very long, you're going to start to pick up on the affections of my heart, okay? And you're the same way. So I want to keep that concept in mind this morning that you are a walking billboard and you reflect the affections of your heart. Brant mentioned a book um, three or four weeks ago that he was reading, and it's, this is not an endorsement for, for the book yet. I haven't read it all, and my youngest son stole it from me anyway. But, uh, so this is not, I'm not recommending this book necessarily, but it's pretty intriguing. The title is, You Are What You Love. You are what you love. And actually, if this author is right, and I think he is, it's a lot sometimes more subconscious than we realize. And so you, you are what you love. And another way to, to talk about this is you act out your affections in life. You really do. You act out your affections. And so now with that in mind, walking billboard, demonstrating your affections in one way or another, with that in mind, we're going to go to this psalm written by David. And of course, there are a lot of things about David. I, I saw the opening introduction about different things about David, some good, some bad, Uh, We're going to just get a little glimpse of a couple of things that are important uh, to God and thus were important to David and thus should be important to us. Because what we want is as we are walking billboards, we want to be able to reflect the values that are espoused in this Psalms and in, in anything in Scripture for that matter. So with that in mind, let's look at Psalm 101 and we'll try to walk through this and I'll give you kind of an outline we're going to follow here in a minute. But let's go ahead and read the text. We're going to look at the first five verses of Psalm 101, a royal psalm written by King David who had the responsibility of ruling his nation. And it says here, I, David said, I will sing of faithful love and justice. I will sing praise to you, Lord. Then I'm going to skip down in the middle of verse two because it goes together here. When will you come to me? And so we're going to treat all of that together here in just a minute. Then if you back up the first part of verse 2, it says, I will pay attention to the way of integrity. I will live with integrity of heart in my house. I will not set any godless, anything godless before my eyes. 
I hate the doing of transgression. It will not cling to me. A devious heart will be far from me. I will not be involved with evil. We'll stop there just for now. So David, we get a sense of David as he cries out to God, as he begins to reflect a couple of very important attributes of the nature of God. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, educational psychologists and people who study how people learn and what they remember. Here, here's, here, here are the fact. Most of you will forget 70 to 80%, maybe more, of everything I say within 72 hours. And it may be in a few minutes you'll want to forget all of it. I don't know. But you're going to forget most of what I say. And so by God's grace, through his spirit, we're going to try to hammer in a couple of things and try to help you retain some of this for your reflection throughout the week. So we're going to talk about three things. This might help you remember this. Even on your way home, you might, you know, quiz each other about the three main ideas. Look up, look within, look away. That's what we're going to talk about. Look up, look within, and look away. Those are the three ideas we're going to try to hang some meat on this morning. We're going to start out with this emphasis upon uh, justice, and then we're going to talk about integrity. You read it here in the text Now, when I thought about injustice, one of the things that might help you make this more meaningful, it's meaningful and relevant regardless of the degree to which you connect with it, but in an attempt to make you connect with this at an emotional level, I want you to think about a time when you were either the subject of injustice or the perpetrator. We've all been both. We've all been both. You've been the subject of injustice or the perpetrator of injustice. There's something about injustice that really grasps the human heart. And you can see it in movies, you see it in books and novels, in the media, in the news. There's a sense in which we hate injustice. We cry out against it. It affects the way we vote. Some people will picket and riot in the, in the face of perceived injustice. Uh, it, you know, uh, some people will walk away from a job or walk away from a lot of money because of injustice and on and on and on. And so it's, it's around us all of the time. Now for me, I was trying to think back and this start out with some sort of trivial examples. Uh, I hope you've locked in on, on a, on a sense of either being the recipient of injustice or in this last one might bring some guilt. We'll talk about that in a minute. The perpetrator. I have two examples out of my own life. When I was a probably, oh, I don't know, middle school, early teenager, I grew up on a ranch and, uh, in Wyoming. It was in Wyoming and Nebraska. It was right on the state line. And this is not a Texas story about our ranch. It was so big it took up two states. No, it just happened to be right on the state line. Um, but I grew up around some ruffians. I mean, some herdsmen, some cattlemen, some farmers, pretty rough guys, pretty rough guys. I spent more time with them than my own father because he was running the whole operation I was just labor, and so I hung out. So in some ways, these ruffians were sort of more influential on my formation as a young kid than even my own dad, initially anyway. And they, there was a lot of rough language in that crowd, I'm telling you. Um, not as bad as today with some of the, you know, well, I won't even go into that. On it's, You can't even watch a show anymore without offensive language everywhere. But I grew up around some rough language. And so one day we were in a, in a, in a barn, my dad and some of the hired help and, and, and me, and I was free help. Um, and, um, 
We're standing there, and my dad's smoking. Now, my dad has two very different phases in life, uh, pre-Christ and then post-following Jesus, and that is a very big, beautiful story. But most of my life, he was not a Jesus follower. So my dad smoked, and he lit up a cigarette, and then he flicked the match, and it went at me, and it went down my neck and burned me, kind of like a wasp sting, okay? Now, I don't know about you kids, some of you, some of you. It feels unjust, doesn't it? That's just a lack of justice. I mean, he, he, but that's not the real injustice. I let out a cuss word and then he smacked me in the head. That was the real sense of injustice. He burns me and then he hits me because I reacted to being burned. I guess he didn't realize I'd picked up some of the language of the ruffians that I worked with. Now that's a trivial case of injustice. I have a more guilt-inducing feeling of injustice in that I remember, um, you know how, and, and it's unfortunate, and I hope some of you in here will have the courage, middle schoolers, high schoolers, will have the courage, and it could be costly to you, but uh, allowing other people to bully and pick on other people. You, you know, we've all seen it. Maybe we've even done it. I remember there's this one little scrawny kid that was socially different and he would be picked on in the locker. He hated to go to PE because the other guys would pick on him and snap him with the towel. And one, one of, Honestly, one of my bigger regrets, really thinking back on my high school years, was that, because uh, I, I was a leader of sorts, and was that I allowed that to happen in my presence because I didn't want to be unpopular or uncool. And I allowed this this unfortunate kid to be bullied by others. And I, to this day, I just, I just, it really gets me because that was an unjust thing. This kid already had a lot against him. He, he was socially different. He, he was very poor. Uh, he was not well-groomed. He already had so many things against him. And then we, who were more privileged and had things going for us, we piled on. That's a real case of injustice. I hope you feel that. So whether you've been the recipient of injustice or you've been the perpetrator, we're going to talk about the nature of God in this category of justice. We all experience injustice in different ways, you know, whether it's on a trivial level, somebody cutting in line. Does anybody get bothered by people who cut in line? Uh, In the first service, I said, are any of you those who cut in line? One lady even raised her hand, so we ushered her out. But uh, I don't like people who cut in line. Uh, or, Or your car goes... Your engine blows up, you know, two days after the warranty's over. Or you buy something on Amazon and you get it and you're going, what? It's nothing like it was portrayed. It's a piece of junk, you know. Those are all trivial examples of a sense of injustice. When you get more serious, it's a wrongful termination. Or gossip about you that's not true that got some traction, right? That starts to get pretty serious or a, or a mate who's unfaithful and there's a sense of injustice you know or parents who let you down or friends who turned out to be disloyal right so injustice is all around us right and so David King David knew that he was responsible for the nation in terms of justice now remember David overall is you know there, there are a lot of positive conclusions about the life of David, but he was far from perfect in this justice category. You know the story, Bathsheba. Remember the prophet Nathan had to confront him in a creative way, 
And David cried out injustice. Nathan told him the story about one man with a bunch of sheep stealing uh, another man's only sheep. And David cried out with anger over the injustice of that story. And Nathan said, that man is you, King David. I don't know when he wrote Psalm 101, if it was after that. I, I hope that's the way it went because he learned a lesson about injustice. And so he writes here in this text. So we're going to look at that. Look up, look within, look away from is what we're going to do today through the life of King David and his responsibility as a leader of the nation. In terms of looking up, you'll see it there in the text. I will sing of faithful love and justice. David's, David's worshiping. We all just worshiped together a moment ago, right? By the way, I think you have really good worship here. And, and I hope that you don't just enjoy the music and sing the songs. I hope you really have God as your audience and you say these things to him. David is saying, he's saying of God, I will sing of your faithful love and your justice. He's worshiping God. He's worshiping. He looked up because he knows. See, here, here's, here's the reality. <clears throat> if you and I only look around or within, we get discouraged. We get confused. We lose perspective. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense out there in life, right? And life will roll over on you, and friends will let you down, and circumstances will get ugly. Uh, that's just the way it is. If you are not a person, if you're not a Jesus follower who's learned to look up on a regular basis, you will lose perspective in life. But David looked up to God. He sang of his faithfulness, of his love, of his sense of justice. Talking about the justice of God, here's a quote that I personally have enjoyed. God's justice is that perfection of his nature whereby he infinitely, he is infinitely righteous in himself and in all that he does. At first, God imposes righteous laws on his creatures and executes them righteously. Justice is not an optional product of his will, but an unchangeable principle of his very nature. He requires conformity in all respects to the moral law. In his distributive justice, he deals with his people according to the requirements of the law, either rewarding people who are just or punishing those who are not. He cannot, as being infinitely righteous, do otherwise than regard and hate sin and see sin as deserving of punishment. His essential and eternal righteousness causes him to visit every sin with punishment. He cannot do otherwise. God cannot look the other way. He cannot sweep compromise under the rug. There's all these images of God as this benevolent, long beard, grandfather type person. No, 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 no. Now he's loving and he's merciful and the gospel gets us there, but, but God is not one to be messed with. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't care who you are. He's not a regarder of persons. He is true to his nature. He is absolute justice. And every injustice stands guilty of his punishment and wrath. That's what's the beautiful thing about the gospel. We were toast. None of us, nobody has any hope because we're all flawed in this category of justice. The only hope we have, because God could not just overlook sin, he had to bring his wrath upon sin. That's the beauty of the cross. That's what Jesus did. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the lamb without blemish. And so God put upon him 
the burden and the wrath of sin. The word is propitiation. It's, it's God's justice was poured out upon sin. Sin was dealt with. So you and I, the beautiful story of the gospel is we, we don't have to merit our way toward God because we can't. There's nothing we bring to the table. We come before him guilty, condemned people who've both been the recipient of injustice and the perpetrator of injustice, and we stand before him guilty. And Jesus pays the price for us, the atonement, the covering of sin, the shedding of blood for sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so if you're unclear on that, there's nothing more important because what I just read about the nature of God, you do not want to stand before him on your own because it will not go well. Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20 talks about this importance that God places on justice. Appoint judges and officials for your tribes in all your towns. The Lord your God has given you. They are to judge the people with righteous judgment. Do not deny justice or show partiality to anyone. Do not accept a bribe for it blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Pursue justice and justice alone so that you will live and possess the land the Lord has given you. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. Psalm 99, verse 4. The mighty king loves justice. You've established fairness. You have administered justice and righteousness. Proverbs 20, 10. Differing weights in varying measures are both detestable to the Lord. That's a business practice right there. In other words, that's talking about not being fair in business, not being true to the customer, not delivering what you've promised, cheating people out of their money. God detests it. Last one I'm going to read here on this is, is Jeremiah 21, 12. Hear the word of the Lord, house of David. This is what the Lord says. Administer justice every morning and rescue the victim of robbery from the hand of his oppressor. Or, God's, God's talking here, or my anger will flare up like fire and burn unquenchably because of their evil deeds. And so in this first aspect of looking up uh, to God, we, we see that, that, that David saw God as the ultimate source and example of love and justice. Secondly, in this idea of looking up, David contemplated the character of God and it led him to praise and worship him. We've already talked about that. He sang his praises to God. Thirdly, as he looked to God, he recognized his utter dependence upon him. Look, at it's tucked in there in verse 2. When will you come to me? Now, I don't want to overstate what I understand about that phrase. It's kind of tucked right in there, right in the middle of these statements about the nature of God. There's this little, what seems to me to be an acknowledgement that David cannot be a man of justice and definitely not a king of justice without God's presence every day, without his help, without his intervention, without his wisdom. And so to me in the context, it seems like David pauses to say, when will you come to me? He's looking to God. He knows he needs God in order to be a ruler, to be a king to be true to God's word to the people. He cries out to God because only by consistently looking up do you and I have any hope of being men and women of justice and of distributing justice in our spheres of influence. So he looked up to God. Now, David also looked within. Look at verses two and three. David says, I will pay attention to the way of integrity. And then skipping on there, it says, I will live with integrity of heart in my house. 
So this is where David starts to look in. He's looked up. Now he looks in at his own heart and his character, and he's failed. He's failed in the past. Like I said, I don't know when he wrote this psalm, but he's failed. He's not always been a, a, a man who's embraced justice and distributed it properly. But he says, I will. He looks in and he goes, I will be a man of integrity. Now, a while ago I talked about my dad and I, I feel compelled to be fair to him. Uh, he shouldn't have thrown that hot match down my neck. But, um, but I will say this, uh, my dad was a man of integrity. And that's one of the outstanding qualities I remember growing up is I got to watch him in business practices. I got to watch him treat uh, employees. I got to watch him deal with relatives who hadn't done as much to help the business as he did, and, and et cetera, et cetera. I watched him be a man of his word, you know, the old-fashioned uh, handshake or a word was you could bank on it. I watched him lose money because he would make commitments to people, and even if they didn't carry out their side, he always stayed true to his commitments. And so I, I really uh, appreciated the, the example my dad set here in terms of, of integrity. And David knew you can't have justice without integrity. They're linked together. So David talks a little bit about integrity here as he looks within himself. He wants to be a man of integrity. Integrity means blameless, complete, innocent, upright, sound, sincere, whole, without blemish, guiltless, Integrity's overriding quality is wholeness. There is no discrepancy between what a person of integrity appears to be on the outside and what he or she is on the inside. Integrity matters to God. We find in Psalm 15, 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountains? The one who lives honestly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges truth in his heart. In Proverbs 10, 9, it says, the one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his ways will be found out. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, talks about what God despises. It says here, six things the Lord hates. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes and a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, Feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and the one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Wow. See, here's the reality that might help us understand uh, the, the importance of integrity is, and some of the realities is God sees everything, he knows everything, he hears everything. God is our witness. He's our, he's our audience, right? And you will never be a man or a woman or a boy or girl of integrity if God doesn't become your audience the one who really knows. You can fake out other people. You can fake out other people. You cannot fake out God. And so there's the, the verse that says, uh, we stand before the one to whom we give account is God, right? And so the, the, the very nature of God would implore us to be men and women of integrity, even in the little details of life. And David knew that. And he committed, as he looked within himself, he knew he was very capable of not being a man of integrity, but he looked within himself and he makes this statement, I want to be a man of integrity. So he looked up to God as the ultimate example of virtue, and then he looked within his own heart and said, I will be a king who distributes justice and I will be a man of integrity. But then he looks away. Look at verses three and four. He looks away. 
I will not set anything godless before my eyes. I hate the doing of transgression. It will not cling to me. A devious heart will be far from me. I will not be involved with evil. David made a commitment to look away from anything that would would compromise these standards of justice and integrity. And he wouldn't put anything evil in front of his eyes. Now, folks, that, you know, a lot of times immediately what comes to mind is pornography or sensual images, and that for sure qualifies here to, to be something you should put away from yourself. But really, it could be anything that reflects the affections of your heart that aren't true to God, anything that's more important to you than God. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Tim Keller. Some of you may have read. He's a prolific writer, author. Um, he's written a book called Counterfeit Gods because he, like no other author I know of, has done a really good job of helping we everyday modern Americans and churchgoers understand that we are vulnerable to idol worship. <clears throat> now, you read the Old Testament, idol worship was very distinct. It was you know, worshiping Baal, sacrifices, the Asherah pole, and all, all these things that we have a hard time relating to. And we look at that, we go, man, I would never do that. I would never go down here to a church and worship some God, uh, you know, other than the God of Israel. And yet, we do that subtly in so many ways because anything that puts your affections above that of Jesus is an idol. And Tim Keller does a really good job of fleshing that out, I encourage you to, you know, I encourage you to read, to get the book. You can go, go to your bookstore, go to Amazon, wherever, and, and get the book, Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. He has a little survey in there. I remember I was filling out the survey, <clears throat> and now listen, I'm very aware of, you know, my, listen, I have a hard time, I have to commute 21 miles from Franklin, Tennessee to downtown Nashville. Nashville's just crazy with the growth, it's almost headed toward Atlanta or something, it's just crazy, all the cars and uh, all the yahoos in the left lane, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, people on their cell phones, people doing makeup in the mirror, even men. Um, you know, <laughs> I, 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 and inefficient, I just hate inefficient driving. This is, you know, the, right, the light turns green and two people are, you know, do you honk the horn? I don't have any Jesus stickers on my car because I'm way too short of, of, of godliness. Um, so I have a hard time just getting to work in a good mood. I think it ought to be legal to have paintball guns and mark certain drivers. No, I'm serious. You know, and they, and they ought to turn, what is that, Waze? Come up with something, Blaze, I don't know. Come up with something that says, warning, three cars ahead of you is a moron. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have used that word. Um, so you can see, I know I'm a sinner. You know, I've heard people say, sanctification, becoming like Jesus, is progressive. The last thing that gets sanctified is your right foot. <laughs> you may not get that, but you will eventually. So I understand I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I know that. I get irritated and impatient and, and whatnot. But as far as, I, I'm thinking, idols? My, you know, and so Tim Keller goes through this list, and I, was, I felt pretty good about it. You know, because, and then I get down to productivity. And I, and I said, can that be an idol? And my daughter-in-law, who's in the hospital right now, she starts laughing. She heard me say that. She goes, ah, warning, warning, warning. 
You know, anytime you say, can that be an idol? It probably is, and you're probably neck deep in it. And so that's kind of what she was saying. I grew up in an environment where getting things done was really, really important. Do any of you like to-do lists? I love to-do lists. I carry one, I carry a notebook of to-do lists around with me. And do any of you go back and write in things that are done, even though they're already done, you write them down anyway so that you can check them off? Uh, Productivity, if it's not on the right things, is a form of idol worship. Now, I don't mean you want to be good at your work and you want to get things done and mow your yard and I've got to help my, my son, Brand. He doesn't apparently know how to kill some of this really bad grass that's growing in his yard right now and nearly consuming his whole house. So I got to, you know, help him there a little bit. Uh, Crabgrass, isn't that what it's called this time of year? You know, uh, no offense if anybody in this room helps him with his yard. If you do, I need to talk to you. <laughs> it's called crabgrass preventer. So anyway, um, you know, I love to be productive, but I had to admit, you know, there are times I, rather than sitting and looking at Jesus in the morning, I want to do work. I want to get to work. I want to get going. I want to jump into my emails. I want to start ticking things off the, the to, to-do list. And if I get really honest, there are days I really love my tasks more than Jesus. I don't know what your, I don't know what your vulnerability is, but that's mine. Loving things, getting things done more than Jesus. And Tim Keller talks about anything that takes your affections away from Jesus is evil. It's an idol. And David made this comment here at the very end. He says, I will not set anything godless before my eyes or let anything take your affections away from him. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do productive things. I mean, you know, don't, don't, don't jump the other extreme on all this, but it does mean if you're going to look up, it means that, that means something. It means you're going to spend time looking up, right? Worshiping privately, publicly, getting in a small group where you can do this, you can learn to look up together. It means opening your Bible as often as you can. It means praying Look it up. It's not complicated. I, I remember this, this verse in Genesis that talked about the time of Enosh, something new happened. At the time of Enosh, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's a fascinating verse. Calling, calling upon the name of the Lord. That's looking up. Because you can't be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl of justice and integrity if you don't look up. So you look up, You look within, and you look away from evil. Now, I'm going to conclude with what I hope will be a practical thing here because we're just to land this a little bit, and that is um, um, a verse that I've I've always thought was helpful because I want to understand the ideals and what we're supposed to do, but changing the behavior can be a challenge. Of course, God assists us and guides us in that, but it's hard to change, right? And uh, so I love Hebrews 5.14. I don't have it. That's not on the screen, I don't think, but because uh, it wasn't in the outline I sent in last night or this morning. Um, but Hebrews 5.14, and I don't know what version you're reading out of, but it's something like this. But solid food 
a reference to wisdom, the Bible, God's revealed truth. But solid food is for the mature who through practice have learned to discern between good and evil. I love that verse. Because here, here's what it implies. You have, you have to look up through God's, God's word. If you're not focusing on the right thing, forget it. Who through practice, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes falling down and getting up. It, it takes pursuing through, through practice and effort have learned to discern, not just robotically obeying commands, but to discern between good and evil. So here's what I believe happens. Tomorrow, new day, right? And you're going to have an opportunity as a walking billboard to reflect the nature of God as a believer, right? To be salt and light, to be a city on a hill, to be an example. You're going to have that opportunity. There'll be instances where you either have the opportunity to reflect these qualities, justice, integrity, etc., or not. There's a window. Now, sometimes that window might be, like for me, I've already confessed it's a good day when I get to work not mad at somebody, all right? So I fail at this. But sometimes the window of opportunity is that long, right? Sometimes the window of opportunity can be open for a period of time when you're contemplating your reaction to something that's happened in and around your life. But there's a window. Wise people who've looked up on a regular basis, who've learned to discern between good and evil, look at that, what's at stake in that moment, and says, you know, I could do this, I could say this, I could act in this way, I could have this opinion, but it doesn't stand the scrutiny of God's word. So why don't I embrace the truth? Every time you choose the wrong way, you suffer for it in some way. Every time you choose the path of wisdom, there's a, there's a blessing. doesn't mean money starts dropping out of heaven on you or that life gets a whole lot easier, but you'll find there's a joy in obedience. It's a beautiful thing just to know, man, I'm, I'm trying, God, to reflect your nature. Help me. As David cried out in this text we just looked at, God, when will you come and help? And so that's the beauty, I think, of trying to reflect the, these character qualities that the King, King David had demonstrated for us in his life, although not perfectly, and in his writings here in Psalm 100. And so I pray God's power and blessing uh, that you will have your heart affections centered upon the person of Jesus and that other things will grow strangely dim. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Oh, my. Thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the examples of godly women and men who've preceded us, whether it's in the Bible or our parents or grandparents or others we've known. Thank you that you've not left us here to try to figure this out on our own. We know your spirit strives with our spirit. Thank you. Bring that on that we may truly desire our affections to be upon you and that we can reflect justice and integrity, mercy, and love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.